Welcome to the Foundations podcast series, where we build our present on the foundations of the future. On each episode, we'll feature either an educational, tactical guide or a special guest whose story will help pave the way to a stronger foundation in life, business, and beyond. This show is sponsored by the SalesCast community, a place where entrepreneurs and sales leaders build revenue-first podcasts. Join the community for free at salescast.community. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, Seamus Ruiz Earl, the founder and CEO of Carabiner Group. He's got an absolutely fascinating story. And as a young entrepreneur, um, he's got quite an impressive track record already. Seamus, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Great to be here. Well, I've had the opportunity to get to know you uh, a little bit now, and I think one of the most one of the most interesting things to me is how you're navigating leadership as a young entrepreneur. And you regularly bring up Steve Jobs in a specific quote about hiring smart people and and have them tell you what to do. But could you give us a little more insight into what it's been like as a young entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we live in a culture, particularly, you know, where I'm from in Silicon Valley, where the concept of that, you know, singular cult-like genius following thing gets perpetuated all the time. And I think the secret to my quote unquote success thus far has been trying not to play into that too much, right? Like realistically, you know, my biggest assets in my company and on my team are the people who have been there before and done that. That they're able to be strong bulwarks of of you know knowledge and leadership that even I as a leader can kind of rely on and learn from as we're kind of charting our way forward. Uh, it's been you know a a certainly a quick you know hyper growth ride over the last you know 15, 16 months. Um, but we wouldn't have been able to do any of it without kind of the proper mix of personalities, experience, leadership, you know, all of those various different things. Um, and I think we see that all over the place, right? Like human capital in general, um, in the past hasn't really been, uh, as much of a priority, but now we're in the era of, you know, the great resignation and people are starting to realize, well, I've got value that I can bring to the table. So to answer the original kind of query, you know, I lead, um, from a position of kind of valuing each person of the team in a way for their unique life experiences, whether that's relevant specifically to what we're doing at this point in time, or something as an asset that we can leverage later on when we face another challenge that they may have unique insight into. And because of that, we've managed to avoid pitfalls. And I personally have managed to avoid pitfalls that otherwise I would have certainly fallen into um, without a doubt. Hmm. Well, it wasn't, this wasn't always your career path. So you told me you actually wanted to get into investment banking when you were younger and you were sharing uh, kind of a, a funny story about one of your first interviews, or if, if not, this was the first interview. Yeah. You know, the investment banking space is, is pretty difficult to break into um, and you got to go to the right school. You got to do the right things. And from a relatively young age, when I was in high school, it was something that I was really interested in. And uh so I did all the steps that I needed to, and I finally got that first invitation to come interview. And I was in San Francisco at the time. They gave me like 72 hours to get to New York. 
in order to to interview at the the big main building. Um, so I had to hop on a flight, grab my suit, you know, um, get there, check into a hotel, have per diem, right? All of the the stresses that are associated with that. Um, and you know, like my biggest fear in that entire you know situation was was very much one built out of like imposter syndrome, right? I didn't have the traditional background. Um, I was an economics student rather than a finance student. And there are like some differences in knowledge there that are really, really important if you're trying to be a banker. And um, I stressed, man, like I was so focused on learning the technical, understanding how to do the calculations, um, know the industry terms, all of these things. You know, I listened to somebody who'd been through it before and they gave me all this advice and I was trying to internalize it and make it something that I could trot out there for, for the interview and get the job. And, you know, I, I go through and there's three different rounds of interviews and they're all interpersonal, right? Like the first one is, Hey, you know, trying to figure out basically would, would I want to go grab a drink with you after we worked a 16 hour day. Right. And the second one was the same, right? Tell me a story about leadership, blah, 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 like typical interview stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm all tense up. I'm all geared up for it. And, um, finally I get to the third one, which is with the managing director of the bank, right? Big big, important person ultimately makes a hiring decision. And I'm so focused on the technical stuff that I don't know well, that I actually bring that up as a weakness during the interview, right? Like I expose my, my, my left flank, whatever to a, to, to this, this guy. And, and ultimately um, that is the reason why I don't get the job, right? I, I highlight my weakness for him right there, then and there. And um, you know, I would, I did, great up to that point, but because mm-hmm. of my own insecurities, I kind of fell victim of my own trap. But oddly enough, that's not even the, the, the part that, you know, really impacts me now. The guy, you know, to his credit was, as soon as he realized kind of he wasn't going to hire me, he, he kind of switched tacks and started being a career guidance counselor to a degree, right? And, and he gave me, you know, what ultimately turned out to be great advice, which was, you need to really reevaluate if you want to be a banker. If you want to be a banker, go back and learn all this stuff. Take a crash course and how to, you know, do a discounted cash flow analysis. Um, but otherwise, focus on your strengths. You'd be a great consultant. You have experience doing that already. Um, why don't you give that a try? Because you know, unless you're willing to invest the time and energy in the finance thing, you know, it really isn't going to be a, a happy fit for you, regardless of whether you're competent or not. Well, let's have yeah. some fun. He asked you a question, so pretend I'm him. <laughs> Pretend you're you back then. He said, I don't know what is how he sounded. Well, Seamus, why do you want to be a banker? That's probably not how he sounded, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, the, you know, the true answer was, well, I wanted to make a lot of money, right? That's the answer. And that never sounds good in the interview, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, my answer that I gave was, well, I want to be among, you know, driven people and I want to be you know, um, among smart people and I want to work on something, um, and have the opportunity to grow. And that's where he sits across the table from you. And he says, well, that's not specific to banking, right? You can do that. There's smart people everywhere. You know, you need to find something you're passionate about, which, you know, worked its way out in the end, but was not what the 18 year old, um, you know, college student wanted to hear at the end of an interview. Okay. So you take, you take that energy and you went and you interviewed at all kinds of other places and where did your career go from there? Like, what did you start to really sink your teeth into? Yeah. So, 
you know, it was odd. I still, I didn't listen. Right. So I still wanted to be in the banking track. Um, and by happenstance, I, I ultimately ended up working for a bank, but working on the technology side of that bank. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the only job I could kind of get at the time. And um, it was working with this technology called Salesforce, which a lot of people probably have heard of and, and work with, but for a college student, no, you know, I had no idea what it was. I had to teach myself the tech, right? And I really loved it, right? It was something that I, I was good at, that I enjoyed. I got access to the CFO of this investment bank. You know, I was directly reporting to them. And it was like, gosh, the more and more I do this, the more value I'm adding to, to this team. Um, and, you know, frankly, it's the springboard ahead in my career where I don't need to go through the, the, the Excel crunching days that I was going to need to do as an analyst at an investment bank. So I pivoted, I invested really hard and, and ultimately, you know, um, that led to a, a number of awesome opportunities, you know, uh, speaking at Dreamforce as a, uh, as an 18 year old, um, getting named as, you know, the youngest trailblazer, you know, in Salesforce history at the time. Um, it was what incredible. Do you, what'd right? you speak about? What, what was the experience like to bring me into the moment? Cause not many 18 year olds get that kind of opportunity. It was really interesting. I had seen what Dreamforce was. Um, I, I had heard about it and I'm like, okay, I'm into Salesforce. I should see if I can go. And I looked at the ticket prices and it was like 2,800 bucks or something for a ticket. And I'm like, okay, that's never going to happen. Right. Like that. I can't afford that. So I call up like the general hotline for Salesforce. Right. And I say, Hey, I'm a student and I want to know if there are any scholarships to attend Dreamforce. And, you know, I end up getting shunted through like six or seven different, you know, um, phone trees before I finally make it to a team called Trailhead for Students. And they were so impressed with my story that they introduced me to the PR team. And that was when I got invited to come and speak. And what I spoke about was the power of Salesforce to augment the student experience while they were in college, right? It's a little bit unorthodox, but I had four or five different student advisors while I was in college, Mm -hmm. you know, over three years. And the reason I had so many was because we had nothing in common, right? They couldn't help me with anything before I finally got to the one who was able to advise my thesis and do all these things. Right. And had my school had Salesforce, they should have gotten that right first or second try. And I would have been that much happier and not considered transferring, not considered all of these other, you know, quote unquote, bad things from a school's perspective. So anyways, that's what I talked about when I was there. And how did that lead into the work that you're doing with Carabiner Group today? Yeah, so that very much grew out of the pandemic. So I I, I did listen eventually to the uh, the, the wise uh, counsel of of that you know managing director. I wish I remembered his name, um, but I I don't have his card anymore. Uh, and so I transitioned and I started focusing on Salesforce Consulting. Um, and so I, I actually got a job offer, Dream Firm Deloitte. Um, I was ready to go there, be a 40 year veteran, right? I wanted to be the guy who, you know, the grizzled old guy interviewing <laughs> the young bucks at some point. And, uh, what happened was a global pandemic, right? March, 2020, um, they sent us home from college. Uh, I had the job offer and they were going to honor that job offer, but they said, instead of starting in June, when you were scheduled to start, you got to start in January of 2021. So it was a full nine months later from the time when I was planning. And uh, my personality type, right? I guess entrepreneurial or whatever you want to call it, I could not sit still that long. 
right? So I, I, I said, hey, will you at least pay for my training? Will you help me do something to better myself? And they're like, nah, you'll never get nine months off for the rest of your life um, until you retire. So enjoy it. Never mind the fact that there's a global pandemic going on. You can't travel. You can't do anything. People are dying. Not really you know, a happy time. Um, so I just doubled down on the consulting stuff. I had done the consulting during college. Um, and ultimately, by the time I had six or seven clients that I was handling, I'd hired two people at that point. It made sense for me to give up the, the Deloitte offer and start my own endeavor, right? Now, that was 15 months ago. Now we're at 25 people full-time. Um, we're growing really, really fast, faster than I guess maybe at some times I'm comfortable with, but it all grew out of kind of that, you know, if you really track it all the way back, it grew out of that banker telling me, hey, maybe you don't want to be a banker. Maybe you want to be a consultant, which is kind of neat. So from what I understand, your your work evolved from that Salesforce consulting into now really taking a holistic RevOps perspective. Um, how is how does that work today? How does how does the how is the work of Carabiner Group evolved? I think it's it's certainly a a factor of market presence more than anything else, and market timing. Because right around the time when I was founding the Carabiner Group, it was RevOps was bursting onto the scene with a vengeance. Right? Venture capital funds were saying you needed to focus on it. The New York Times was releasing articles about it. And people were starting to get it through their heads that like these are not separate parts of your business. They mm. all have to work together and the systems must be dynamic and be functioning. Um, and so, you know, that was not an immediate shift by me by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the more and more we worked with our clients and the more systems that we saw, the more we realized that the job we were actually being hired to do was fractional RevOps, mm. right? Making sure all the systems work together and function the way that they were supposed to. We were no longer just Salesforce consultants. We were talk, we were touching everything that could be, you know, have any influence on Salesforce and revenue and customer service and marketing and all of these things. Um, and so it was a relatively, you know, simple switch of 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 just the terminology and and the, the mindset of my team and saying mm-hmm. we're no longer just, you know, specialists in one thing, but specialists in a lot of different things and making them work together. Um, but that has driven ultimately our growth because people need it. They're recognizing it and we help them kind of solve that, that problem for them. And you've expanded from, uh, I was actually speaking with Cliff earlier today. And now uh, a lot of the businesses that you are working with today are SaaS and high technology. And a lot of those early businesses that you were working with were more of those investment banking and and uh, type companies. So how has that transition been for you as a young founder now going into SaaS and and kind of staking a claim in that market in that world? You just announced a partnership with Pavilion. Um, how's that going? You know, it's remarkable. Um, again, timing, right? Timing and 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 first mover advantage and all of those pieces are are a huge component. Um, but so is the fact that we've got good instincts, you know, we have a good team around us who collectively have over a hundred years of expertise and a software that's only been around for 20 years. Right. Um, and that's pretty incredible too. So we've got a great talent backlog 
And one of the crazy things about these SaaS companies is they often fit my own profile, right? Younger uh, founders who are have good ideas and 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 potentially groundbreaking technology, but not the experience to back it up in some respects, right? They're still facing the challenges that you know every company goes through as they double, as they triple, as they scale, um, and so we're in that unique position to bring the expertise to kind of place the bumpers, if you will, down the bowling lane, right? And keep people on the right path while still enabling them to succeed, which particularly in the SaaS world, as these companies are going through this 2,000, 5,000, 10,000% year-over-year growth, that's super duper important. Um, So I'm really excited about it because it means that I get to be a part tangentially of each of these organizations changing the world, you know, frankly, in, in many respects. Um, and we get to kind of enable them on that journey, um, which you would never get that exposure just working for one, you know, one company all the time. So are you living that, that dream when that investment banker asks you, why do you want to get into banking? Are you living those things now? I would say that, that, the the rooms that I get to be a part of now, the rooms that I get to enter, the tables I get to sit at the conversations that I get to have, right? You know, I flew across the country recently from San Jose to New York City to attend a dinner, right? With Sam Jacobs at Pavilion and the CEO group that he's put together over there. And very clearly, I was not the smartest person in the room, right? Not by a long shot. And that's exactly what I've been striving for forever is the concept of being around people who can help you grow and expand and open your mind and continue to evolve as a person, you know, these industry leaders. And to sit at that table as a contributor and as a peer amongst these incredible, you know, titans of industry, for lack of a better term, is an awesome feeling. So I think there's still plenty of, of room to go down that path of, you know, evolution, but I'm certainly on my way, which is um, a lot more than I think I could say if I was you know, a second year analyst at an investment bank right now. Now there's pressure from people, headlines, et cetera, that kind of want to label you as, you know, a boy genius, the boy genius in this industry. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? You know, I think that the, this is the piece where it feels gratifying, but also very disingenuous, right? Like Mm. this is so much not an individual um, effort. You know, this is a team effort, right? I get to guide the the ship on the right way that it's going. Um, But so much of what we have succeeded in has been um, the confluence of the right timing and being at the right place with the right people in order to kind of take that next step forward. I was telling you earlier how I met Cliff, how I met my VP of sales was very much just literally a random, I needed a salesperson. I reached out to the first person looking for a sales job that I could see on a Slack group. And it turns out that that person was the right hire who's managed to propel us forward. Um, You know, that has no business working the way that it did. And yet it does because we, you know, two people managed to find each other at the right time and take Mm -hmm. risks on each other. The same thing with my delivery team, right? Like the person that I wanted for my uh, my managing director to help lead that team forward 
we really liked him. We talked with him and he ultimately ended up taking a role somewhere else. And two months go by and, and ultimately the person we hired didn't stick with it. And we needed to go back out and search again. And we reached back out to this person and lo and behold, Lewis Carney comes aboard um, after, you know, three months of thinking that we were never going to get him. And, you know, it was just a, a happenstance text of how is it going? You know, you happy where you're at. And now, you know, we've grown the delivery team threefold in that period of time in four months or something that he's been on, on, on the team. It's all of these pieces, you know, maybe it's good instincts, right? I can say that for myself. I, I have a, a good critical thinking, high EQ, those pieces that, that enable me to make those decisions. Um, but at the same time, they're educated guesses and they're educated bets um, with a really strong team around me to help us stay on the right path. Uh, so I reject the title a little bit, um, but I appreciate it when it's when it's raised. Hmm. Now, for the the audience in mind, there are a lot of people that might aspire to be like Seamus, to be like you. And what would you, what would your advice be to um, the ambitious, talented, bright person? that is starting to experience some success, what would you say to them? I think I would say, uh, well, I would say a lot of things, right? But, but some of the things that I would say would be the emphasizing the importance of a support network, right? However that looks, you know, know your own weaknesses and fill, you know, those weaknesses with people who, you know, you respect that you admire that have kind of counter skill sets to your own to become more well-rounded of a, of a team. Um, don't be so focused on the growth, right? Focus on the product, focus on whatever it is that you're trying to sell. Um, and if you get that done, right, it should sell itself, um, to a degree. And the third, and, and finally, the most important thing, in my opinion, is any sort of endeavor that you go down, you need to be very honest with yourself about what it is you want out of that. Um, you know, for me, um, I am still figuring that out. That changes on a day-to-day basis of what I want my team to be and what I want mm-hmm. it to grow. But that's a very much a process of introspection that needs to continue, right? Um, the, I can only imagine had I started back when that guy told me, hey, be a consultant. And I didn't waste a couple of years trying to be a banker. Right. And for for the reason that I wasted that time was I had this goal in my mind and this one path to getting to that goal. Um, And it was too rigid and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't willing to kind of modify my plans a little bit when, you know, other opportunities arose. And so being flexible and being willing to adapt and change as you're going through that process of being an entrepreneur, of being a successful human, however you want to define that, um, I think that's really the most important thing that should guide you along the way. Let's, let's have a little bit of fun. Um, We've had some prior discussions where we talked about what would happen if you had a major exit and um, (laughs) now you could kind of go on to this next phase of life. Are you comfortable talking about that? Absolutely. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, Yeah. So I've got a pipe dream, right? Um, and it's a it's a crazy pipe dream, but effectively, I want to own and operate a network of boutique hotels across the world. You know, unique locations, full of history, 
um, full of mystique and intrigue and, and um, stories. Um, and, you know, these venues that, that, you know, they're not cookie cutter, right? They've got their own characters to them. And um, I want those to be venues of human connection, right? I want those to be opportunities for folks with all sorts of background and unique personalities to be able to come together um, and effectively have what you termed as kind of the modern day, you know, royal court, right? Like the modern day um, travelers telling stories, bards, jesters, right? Like folks who have these crazy life experiences. Maybe they hiked Mount Everest, or maybe they were, you know, a New York City police detective for 25 years, or a billionaire, or you know, a plant cultivator, whatever it is, right? Like the whole mm-hmm. spectrum of human emotion and experience and have those at tables together where you can learn from one another um, and just get a little bit more experience, you know, tangentially through these other people and make that, that, that piece of human connection. So that's my dream, right? I don't know where it'll, it'll start and where it'll stop, but um, I just think that would be such a cool, cool thing to be able to build. Well, I think I know how you're going to do it. I think, I think you're going to build the right team around you. I think you're going to continuously ask yourself what you want out of this experience. And I think um, there's going to be a little bit of luck where preparation meets opportunity. And I'm really excited for that to happen for you. I appreciate that, Chris. I I guess, you know, as long as I stay true to my own tenants there, that's probably what I'll do. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up today's episode? You know, I'd say um, one way out of left field, uh, alternative talent, right? Give people a chance who don't necessarily fit the mold of what you're looking for. Regardless, that that can be applied anywhere in in, in your life, Um, but particularly in business, right? Like take bets. They're not all going to pay off, but sometimes they will. And those are going to be the ones that... um, yield the most for you in the long term. Thanks for tuning in to the Foundations podcast series. Please leave us a review and subscribe. Want to reach out to me? Just find me on LinkedIn in the show notes below and I'd be happy to talk.